You're listening to The Profile. Hi, welcome to The Profile podcast. I'm Andy Peck. For the past 17 years, I've been interviewing Christian leaders in the church and charity worlds and in the wider culture. It was John Maxwell who famously said, leadership is influence. It's our prayer that these conversations will help you in whatever spheres you have influence for God, whether in the home, at church, in your workplace or elsewhere. The show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. You're probably familiar with the verse from John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus has in mind a community that demonstrates something of his love and grace so that those around them will pick up that they follow Jesus. It looks like they were paying attention because in the book of Acts, we read that the followers of the way were given the slightly pejorative name Christian, meaning little Christ's, because that's who they were trying to be like. But it's also the case that when communities purporting to be Christian fail in their task of showing love, then Christians become disillusioned and discouraged and non-believers want nothing to do with the faith or the Jesus that they claim to portray. On both sides of the Atlantic, there's a decline in the number of people attending local churches and engaging in the Christian faith, in part because of the quality of many so-called Christian communities. Well, I'm joined this week by Todd Hunter, who is the author of a book entitled What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. He lives in Franklin, Tennessee. He's the founding bishop of the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others and founder of the Centre for Formation, Justice and Peace. He's also served as president of Alpha USA and national director for the Association of Vineyard Churches. He charts his journey to Anglicanism in a book, The Accidental Anglican. I'm looking forward to chatting with him about how we can combat the bad religion and replace with the kind of life that Jesus intended. So, Todd, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you, Andy, so much. It's great to be with you and your audience. Um, so in your book, Todd, you, you quote that only one third have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the church. Uh, yeah. So things are pretty grim, are they not? Yes. And, you know, every study, Andy, it seems like whether it's Pew or Lilly or Gallup or Barner or whatever, it, it seems to get worse. Um, so it is true that at least in America, and I think in the UK, the church is at an, a kind of an all time role in terms of her reputation. Um, as to her actual work, you know, there's so much quiet, lovely, hidden work that happens. Uh, the work of the church might actually still be doing OK. But in terms of reputation, yeah, church is really counterintuitive for a lot of people who who would say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I don't want to re- be religious. What they really mean is I'm spiritual, but church is the last place I'd look for help in spirituality. Cool. And Todd, you, you were very honest in your book about uh, the time when your wife and you had a a period when you didn't attend yeah. a local church. So t- tell mm-hmm. us about that. Yeah, I don't remember all what triggered it, but um, I, I think I say in the book that I've been in ministry since I was 19 and I'm 67. So that's a long time. <laughs> and I, I, and you know, I've held the leadership positions you mentioned. So I know how the religious sausage is made. <laughs> and as we say, at least over here on this side of the pond. And so I think Debbie and I just seen so much of the downside, so much hurt, so much dysfunction, different sorts of abuse that 
you know, we weren't questioning God or our relationship with God or Jesus. It was just hard for us to feel comfortable in a church. So we actually ended up going to a home group, a kind of a home church that focused on spiritual formation. And that really kept the thread of our, our faith going. Uh, and and what do you hope the book will do, Todd, in, in terms of your, you know, your, your purpose for writing and your, your hopes yeah. for it? Yeah, my my hope in writing it was uh, well it, on the dream level Andy I would say that it would start a national conversation on the goodness of Jesus. <laughs> but of course that's that's a little overwrought. What I'm trying to do in the book is gain a fresh hearing for Jesus amongst nuns, duns, skeptics, burned out, church hurt, dechurched. Um and I use a little mechanism um of the aims of Jesus which is something I learned from Tom Wright. And so I'm trying to say to people, hey, what if we took a, a new look at Jesus? And what if we stopped trying to figure out Jesus and God and what God's up to on the earth via the lens of the church? But what if instead we tried to understood what it meant to be church, the people of God, through the lens of Jesus? So I'm trying to gain a fresh hearing for Jesus amongst the church hurt. Oh. And you alluded to, to Tom Wright, and you mentioned this in the book. It was a big surprise mm -hmm. for you that yeah. Jesus had particular aims, even though you'd been a Christian for many years. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in a very simple faith, and I don't mean any criticism to anybody here, but, you know, just sort of, you know, Jesus died so to forgive our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. And I and I was literally taught that that was central and anything else was, you know, secondary at best and suspect at worst. And yes, I remember reading one of Tom's books 20, 25 years ago, uh, could have been Jesus and the victory of God, where he's he has a whole section on the aims of Jesus. And I read it and thought, what the heck? Aims, plural? What could that possibly be? Didn't Jesus literally um, only come to die so that we can go to heaven when we die? Um, Dallas Willard used to call that vampire Christianity or vampire faith, where where we say to Jesus, well, we want a little of your blood so that we can go to heaven, but we don't actually want anything to do with you. And that, that that reductionism of the gospel is one of the reasons that discipleship is so poor and and discipleship being so poor is one of the reasons people are switched off with church. So. I, I had the opportunity to chat to Tom and asked him if he'd read Dallas Willis, actually, as it happens. And he at that point, he yeah. hadn't. Uh, this was some years mm -hmm. ago, so maybe he has since. But certainly there's an overlap between them yes. both in terms of their understanding of the kingdom and yes, the, the, the value of that within within the um, the message of, of, of Christ. Um so, so do you do you think the issue, Todd, is that the church does not understand what Jesus intended, or that it does understand it, it just hadn't figured out how to do it, or a bit of both, perhaps? Yeah, I, it probably is a bit of both. You know, everything's nuanced and complex. But it, just off the top of off the top of my head, Andy, I would guess eighty twenty eighty being that people have actually never really considered it that Jesus was deeply conscious. This is what I try to get at in the book. I try to ask and answer the question to what was Jesus conscious? And Tom does this work in his book, as well as um, a, a man who wrote a book called, actually called The Aims of Jesus, Ben Meyer, B.F. Meyer. He has a whole book on that to which Jesus was conscious. So for instance, Jesus is conscious with it, uh, that he is arising within this big story of God from pre-creation intentionality to let there be light to you know revelation 22 5 that this people of his would rule and reign with him forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth and this explains jesus saying things like i've not come to set the law aside the law being torah god's guidance to be his people i haven't come to set that aside i've come to fulfill it 
Uh, this is another thing I think I learned from Tom, that Jesus is humanity as God intended. Think of the first human beings. He's Israel as God intended, and he is the church as God intended. So as soon as you make that move, Andy, you really broaden that to which Jesus was conscious, aware, and what the Father was doing in and through him. Uh, I told you, you speak of being cooperative friends of Jesus. And I believe that was something mm. in, in your first book, you had a, a lovely little saying yeah. of, of mm -hmm. what you're hoping for, which is now on your website. Um, yeah. which, uh, I can, I can quote it. The cooperative friends of Jesus seeking to live a life of constant creative goodness for the sake of others through the power of the Holy spirit. And I remember being struck by that when I, uh, I read your first book. Um, some have the mindset that God has plans. We just need to get with the program. Others right. would say we do have a say in how things work things out, cooperative friends of Jesus. And from a yeah. you know a leadership just perspective, I'm just yeah. wondering if you could speak to to us who some of whom are thinking, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't. But I have these yeah. ideas which I think God is inspiring. Yes. So I, I think if we look at it this way, um, we're created in the image of God as persons. And fundamental to personhood in anybody's definition is agency. So just being in the image of God means that we have agency. Well, for what reason? Why would God want us to have agency if we're only really automatons who he just sort of works through without us being in any way consciously cooperating with him? I don't think that's what God's up to. Um, you know, Jesus said things like, I only do the things I see my father doing. I only say the things I hear him saying. Then Jesus said, even as the father sent me, so I send you. So the same sort of cooperative relationship that Jesus had with his father, we're intended through the spirit to have with the Trinity. And we have agency within that. And if you say why, it's because God is trying to train us. He um, He's trying to... Um, you know, think of the Great Commission, go out and train everybody you meet in this way of life I've shown you. So when Jesus, or think of the sending passages and the synoptics where Jesus says, go out, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, raise the dead. Well, they were going out there, yes, trying to discern what the Spirit was doing, but they had agency in that. So yes, I think it's really important, really imaginative that we are God's cooperative friends. And we're seeking to live constant lives of creative goodness through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. Yeah, that's really an imaginative, evocative way for me to think about being a Christian. Uh, and so I guess the book of Acts demonstrated that. The, the the apostles were, and particularly Paul had a strategy. He was going to the major cities. Occasionally mm -hmm. the Spirit would redirect him. Yes. But most of the time he was he was fulfilling the commission. Yes, and, and you know, and... And, um, you know, we might think of it as daily devotions or whatever, but Paul's, you know, through the spirit consistently connected to God. And sometimes he just like knows in his knower, you know, he knows somewhere deep in his guts that this is the right thing to do. And it is other times he thinks there's something right to do. Like you say, and he has a vision of a man in Macedonia, Macedonia, it totally redirects his life. Other times he hears the spirit speak to him beforehand and then he knows what to do. So I think, yes, all those things are active in a Christian's life who's um, trying to be the cooperative friend of God. So Todd, I love the line in your, in your book that there are two ways to keep cattle. Mm -hmm. You can build fences or, or build a well. <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess when it comes to banned religion, the obviously subtitle of your book, yeah. local churches have often been keen to keep people on theological track. And, and that speaks to the religion bit, perhaps right. without giving enough attention to making sure that they're nourished. 
Um, yes. I just wonder if the two connect for you. Well, yes. What I'm trying to get at in that quote, which actually comes from a, a kind of like the mission statement of a of a church here in the Nashville area that I talk about in my book, is that what they were saying is we found that when we tried to establish boundaries. And the purpose of those boundaries were to show who's in and who's out. It didn't really work very well <laughs> um, because, you know, you've got big chunks, big rocks of theology and smaller rocks of little pebbles of theology. And which of those, you know, do you use to say who's in and who's out um, in social set theory? That's sometimes called bounded set where the whole purpose of the boundary is to show who's in and who's out. Well, the notion of digging a well, well so that animals will be drawn to it and stay close to the well, that could be talked about in terms of centered set theory, where in centered sets theory, there's still a boundary, right? Like a well has a boundary. A well is not like an ocean. Even oceans have boundaries. But, you know, wells have very tight, you know, concrete or block boundaries to them. Um, but those boundaries are not so much to, to say who's in and who's out, but in which direction are you going? Like, are you moving towards the center who is the Trinitarian God and the message of the kingdom? If you're moving towards those things consistently, well, that shapes a whole different psychological or social psychology of a church, a whole different vibe in a church where we're not creating rules so that we can know who's in and who's out. We're like all trying to follow Jesus together. We're all being like moths to a flame to switch metaphors. And we're all doing it broken. We're all doing it sinful to one degree or another but the center of our life personally and together is christ and that's the image of that well yeah. so todd um i, I need to to touch on the, the same-sex marriage debate this is certainly mm -hmm. uh, one in the uk and and people who are advocates of same-sex marriage particularly within the anglican church in the uk would argue that that bad bad religion is excluding people so the orthodox yeah view of things is excluding people we need to be embracing them um whereas obviously the more orthodox would say no you, you're you're tampering with with what we regard as being the, the revelation that has been given us for two thousand years and and embracing yeah. uh, this compromise you, you're doing a bad thing um i'm not necessarily asking for your view i'm just asking for you to speak to that in the context of the bad religion that jesus um is seeking to uh, keep us from yeah, I was talking to a colleague the other day struggling with exactly this. And the colleague said, well, I just don't want to be put in the position to tell people that God doesn't love them as they are. And I th I don't think I said it because I didn't want to be argumentative in that moment. But I thought, um, nobody I know, Andy, is saying, tell people God doesn't love them because of their sexual orientation or something. It's a red herring. I don't, I mean, I don't know if you ever saw, we had that group here in America. It's been 10 or 15 years now. It feels like there were uh, an infamous Baptist church used to go around and hold up placards that says God hates fags and that sort of horrible talk. I'm sorry for even using the word, um, but just quoting that placard. Sure. Um, and I don't know any reasonable Christian who's saying, tell people God doesn't love them. I think what's at issue here is what is the meaning and practices of love? Like, does love have to always mean affirmation of anything or can love include um, discipleship? Can love include challenging? So think of Jesus and the rich young ruler. 
And the rich young ruler heard that challenge, didn't have anything to do with sex, had to do with economy and money and that sort of thing, but he turned and walked away. So was Jesus being mean? Um, is Jesus a hater? Or are there times when our discipleship, our lives because of our discipleship need to be challenged? So I think one of the issues we got going, Andy, is I can't speak for the UK church, but I can speak for the US church that in general, not everywhere, of course, but in general, we've forgotten about how to teach on human sexuality. So it feels like we're just picking on gay people or we're just picking on transgender kids. And that seems so offensive. Like, how could you possibly pick on a kid who's got gender dysphoria? So we don't tend to teach about pornography or sex dolls or artificial intelligence sex or um, what is it called? Virtual reality sex or any number of things. Um, that are sexual challenges right now. So I guess I want to I want to switch categories. I don't I don't want to have the debate based on the frame. I don't want to have this debate framed by to call any any human being to sort of sexual norms um, according to the scriptures is somehow hating or being unloving. It what if what if human flourishing is uh, is actually somehow connected to God's creation? Uh, for sexuality. And so therefore asking people to try to live according to that plan, to the degree we can figure it out, that divine plan, therefore um, creating human flourishing, wouldn't that in fact be love? No, oh, thank you for, thanks for addressing that. And as you say, um, the, the challenge is for everyone, heterosexual and homosexual mm -hmm. or whatever, <laughs> yeah. uh, in terms of the, 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 the sexual ethic. Um, uh, Todd, there are, there are a variety of Christians in, in leadership listening who are perhaps agree with the premise of your book, uh, agree the importance of, of, of focusing on Jesus' aims and, and discipling people. But they are, as it were, caught rabbits caught in the headlights of the culture's reluctance to give Christianity a chance. Uh, I yeah. don't know how it is in the States, but certainly here, uh, whereas in a generation before, even if people weren't Christian, they would say, yeah, but being a Christian is a decent thing to be. Yeah. Now they're saying, actually, you're, the Christian ethics uh, you know, are actually – inhibiting unpleasant and wrong and yeah. we don't want you at all um yeah maybe you could speak to to that within the context again of the of the book yeah it feels uh culture feels like what we would call over here like a junior high school dance you know <laughs> the awkward time where all the girls are on one side of the gym and the boys are on the other and no one knows how to make the first move or no one has knows how to say the first word <laughs> And I think we have a similar thing going with the uh, the church and culture right now, or or to switch metaphors, you could either think of cricket or think of baseball, where picturing a batter um, who's you know on on his heels, you know you can't hit from your heels. Yeah, um, you have to have a, like a stance of poise and humble confidence. And I think the church has lost that. So now that begs the question, from where will we find it? How can we regain it? And I don't think we're going to regain it with reference to current culture. I think that we're going to live in this rejection for a while longer. Um, it could take a generation or more for the church to recover her ethical, moral authority. So this is, this is going to be with us for a while. And as you know, there's a sense in which we deserve it. Again, I can't speak to the daily happenings of the UK, but over here, Andy, it feels like every week or at least every month, there's some 
you know, notorious fall of another Christian leader and, you know, another horrible piece of news coming out about uh, the Roman church or whatever. And again, I'm not picking on Catholics, but, you know, it happens. Um, feels like about once a quarter. So I, I just don't think that dynamic's going away. So then from where would we find a gentle, humble confidence that would allow us to engage winsomely with the culture? And I, this is going to sound maybe a little cheesy or, uh, you know, um, a cliche, but I think we're going to have to find it in the spirit. We're going to have to find it like um, from God and that that then allow us to stand. So I would recommend that if people can have the inclination and the time to read some missiology and to read about how the church in the, in the last 2000 years has done well when she was rejected and from the margins, it would be useful to read Jer um, Jeremiah it would be useful to read, especially Daniel, like how did Daniel stay faithful uh, in the kind of rejection that he faced? So there are ways of doing it, but you're right. It's really hard. And I'm not sure where it would be harder in the UK or here, but it's really hard when we've lost our privileged position in society and we have, and now we're marginalized or thought of as bad and evil. And yeah, it's not, it's not going to go away. We're gonna have to deal with it. Uh, Todd, as we as we close, um, I introduced you as the um, the bishop of the diocese of churches for the sake of others, and um, yes. I can't I can't let that introduction go without at least asking you uh, about that. Um, it's it, yeah. within the Anglican Communion, um, but to, to talk to me about churches for the sake of others. Yeah, um, I've 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 had more traditionally minded bishops tell me that's a horrible name for a diocese. What is that? That's, <laughs> you know, just just very dismissive. Um, and it really came about very innocently. You referenced my first book, uh, Christianity Beyond Belief, Following Jesus for the Sake of Others. And when that book was coming out, um, it was about the same time where it feels like everybody was starting to build websites and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it was this young like web developer who just loved the phrase and said to me, you should, you should name your diocese that. Hmm. Well, I think the reason it had resonance in me is that I do believe that that is fundamental to what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to live for the sake of others, even yeah. as he did, you know, in the same way, again, think of John 20 in the same manner in which the father sent me, um, you know, to lay down my life for the sake of others in that very same manner so I, I send you. And so, yeah, the idea that we exist um, fundamentally for others, I think is missional, it's evangelistic, it's very God honoring, and I think is um, compelling uh, for a life of a disciple. So how many, how many churches do you want diocese? About 60. Oh, well, wow. And across the United States or? Yes, uh, that's just a happenstance of history, as your listeners will know. Most dioceses are geographically construed. Ours is not because we started out really as a church planting movement, and so we start churches all over the country. But uh, you know, the day will probably come when the American Church, the the Anglican Church in North America, will have more sort of proper dioceses. But for now, uh, we do have a lot of overlap, and in our case, that overlap is driven by um, missiology. Oh, wonderful. Well, it, time's defeated us, uh, Todd, but, it, but just uh, time to remind uh, listeners that the book is entitled What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. So thank you for uh, for sharing with us, for your enthusiasm about 
uh, about Jesus and, and and inspiring us to uh, to be focused upon His aims uh, and and to see uh, we trust um, a, a vibrant church as we go through into an uncertain future. So thank you. Amen. Maybe so. Yeah, Andy. I sometimes call myself a Jesus freak. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks for having me. Back back to coming up. Yeah, Jesus was a Jesus people. You grew up with um, exactly. Faith. Yeah. It, Nice, nice one. Okay, bless you. Thank you so much. It was lovely to chat with Todd Hunter, the author of the book, What Jesus Intended, Finding Truth Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. He's an US author, of course, reflecting on the US scene, uh, but is very relevant for the UK church too. I alluded to the challenges that we face, even using the word Christian. And certainly in my own conversation, if someone asks me, are you a Christian? I will tend to say, well, it depends what you mean by Christian. And then we can have a fruitful discussion on following Jesus and what he meant and intended. And also I can find out what they understand by Christian and whether that's good or not. He uh, mentioned the fact that as Christians, we have agency, we're made in the image of God, uh, and how that feeds into potentially our leadership. Yes, God leads us by his spirit, but in our minds and our hearts, he often is guiding us towards uh, good fruit, good things for us to do. Uh, and it may be this is a spur for you to be developing the thing that you believe that you should be doing in the circles of influence in which God has placed you, whether you have a leadership title or not. We talked also about his uh, first book. I certainly became aware of Todd first by his book, Christianity Beyond Belief, Following Jesus for the Sake of Others. And that links, of course, to his role as a bishop uh, in the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others. So I commend to you uh, Todd's book and uh, Todd's ministry. So looking forward to your company again next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.